Jerry, if you want to just kind of give a brief introduction of sure. who you are and and you know how you got into you know real estate, and, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Great, yeah. So Jerry Norton, I've been a full time uh, flipper, wholesaler, and flipper since about 2004, 2005. Uh, so for about 15 years or so now, and I uh, started in the Detroit market wholesaling at the really low end. So the the five and ten thousand dollar houses is kind of where I started. And um, I did it part time for about a year. My goal was to make enough money to replace my current job, my my income at my job for like a year's worth of that saved up. Then I quit the job, did it full time. What's kind of amazing is my first month full time, um, I did five wholesale deals and made fifty two thousand dollars. Wow! Wow! Uh, yeah. So it was like really hit home to me that this was what I wanted to do. <laughs> so I, I did mostly wholesaling for the first couple of years, but I, I adapted really quickly and I immediately went retail, even though the market wasn't good. There were still buyers, even even through that whole time, there were still buyers that wanted, you know, renovated homes. So I started doing a kind of first time buyer homes where I would buy them, fix them up and flip them for around the 100 to 150,000 price point. I was doing that really well. Um, now I was starting to make twenty-five, thirty, sometimes thirty-five thousand a deal. And with the idea of, you know, how do I, how can I progress? How can I get better? How can I learn more? For some people in wholesaling, that means doing more deals. I see a lot of people that, as they try to grow and expand their wholesaling business, they think in terms of volume, like, oh, I just got to do more deals. I got to build a bigger team. And that is certainly one way to do it. That wasn't the path I took. What I decided to do was go for more margin than volume. How much of that profit do you keep, right? That's right. What, ha- what happened was, is I was doing these little houses that I was making maybe 25, 30 on usually. And then I ended up by accident doing this kind of bigger, nicer home in, in an area called Rochester Hills. It's like a 3,500 square foot house now instead of a thousand square foot house. And uh, I flipped this house and I made $75,000 on the flip. And I sat back and I thought, you know what? Really, if I think about it, it was about the same amount of work and effort and energy to do that deal as it was to do the little deal. But I made three times as much. Right. Yeah. I mean, more capital in a bigger, bigger house, but essentially it was the same thing. I still had to manage a rehab. I still had to raise capital. I still had to sell it. Right. Had to do all the same things that you normally would have to do. Um, but I made three times as much. So I really made a transition mentally when that deal happened. And the following year, I did. You know, I did a fifth of the number of flips and made twice as much money. And that was a real eye opener for me. Uh, I continue to wholesale because that's my roots and I love wholesaling. Kind of the model I follow now is I'm, I'm not just a wholesaler. I'm not just a flipper. I combine the two. So I farm for deals and then I keep the home run deals that make the really big profits and I fix and flip those. And then I basically wholesale out the singles, doubles and triples. Right. So I'm very picky, very selective about which deals I'll fix and flip and then wholesale everything else out. Because in your effort of farming, you're going to get all types of deals. You're going to get the home run deals. But I tell people, why why wholesale a home run deal? If you can make $75,000 fixing and flipping it, why aren't you doing that? Most people, it's because they don't know how to raise capital. They don't know how to manage a rehab. Well, those are things you can learn how to do. I mean, it's not that many more steps to wholesaling because you've already got the deal. Acquisitions is half of it, if not more, because that's the hardest part of the business is getting the deal. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I went through lumps. I learned a lot, but I got really good at managing rehabs. I got really good at, I call it flexing my risk muscle. So what that meant to me was I kept trying to think, okay, well, how can I push a little bit more out of my comfort zone? And for me, that, that meant doing kind of a bigger deal and a bigger deal and a bigger deal. You know, fast forward today and I do multi-million dollar flips, still residential. So I do new construction specs and new construction fix and flip, but they're 
you know, they're in the million dollar price point. Um, but I've got like, for example, right now I've got two deals. Hopefully we'll, we'll sell before the end of the year. We're finishing them up. Um, but they're, they're ones at a, one's at 1.7 million. The other one's at 1.5 million. And I mean, I'm into both of these deals for around a million. I mean, I've got carry costs, I've got closing costs, but you can see these are high net profit deals and that's just two deals. And I'm a hundred percent funded on these deals. I've got none of my own money into these deals. Uh, so, you know, that didn't happen overnight, but it was a transition process. But what I want to tell people when I tell people is, you know, don't limit yourself to just thinking, you know, I, I can do, I only can make so much on a wholesale deal. Uh, I can only do so many deals or raising capital or whatever those things are that are kind of unknowns, whether you're working on your first deal or you're already doing deals, go into this business with the idea of how can I do this better, smarter, faster, and how can I focus on building a business that does deals, not chase, not just chase deals. I, I think 99% of people in our business, they're just out there chasing after a deal instead of focusing on building a business that does deals. And when you build a business that does deals, you're, you're really looking at the bigger picture. You're putting in the right processes, the right systems. You're bringing on the right people, right? You're building out the things that you need to, to where you're no longer the bottleneck and you can, you can expand and do bigger or more deals without working more. So my, one of my big things is really having a lifestyle business. So I, I never, I mean, I'm not perfect at it, but I try really hard not to lose sight of that. And I see that happen a lot in our industry. I see a lot of these wholesalers that are doing, you know, six and seven figures. And and we talk about grind and hustle and work hard. And those are all good attributes, but at what expense? And I see a lot of these these wholesalers that uh, they're making money, but they're just working so hard all the time, seven days a week. And so then other areas of their life really, really struggle. Their, their relationships and maybe their health. And so these are things where, I kind of look at the whole big picture and say, you know, am I right with God? Am I right with my family? Am I right with other people, you know, and making a lot of money (laughs) and do that. You can't do that, but it does take balance and it does take conscious effort to think about, you know, how do I build a lifestyle business? Many of the past, I'd say five to eight years, my average work week was about a 30 hour week working. And that's between multiple businesses because I have my training business, I have my deal business, you know, I have a, I have a, a brokerage I own. And so, but I've really tried to look at the business and say, you know, how do I get other people who can do that specific thing to do it? How do I get people that can do that better than me so that I can get out of the way, they can do it. And then the business can, can thrive. You know, as far as, you know, how can I step away and trust somebody to do as well or better than, than what I'm doing in my own business? And, and, and even if it's not as good, you know, if, if it's 80% as good as if you did it, but you don't have to do it now, that's worth it. That's kind right. of my, I, that's kind of my threshold. If I can find somebody that can do it 80% as good or better, ideally better, but at least 80%, but now I don't have to do it. That's, a, that's worth the trade-off because now that frees, that frees me up to then focus on higher level activities. I really look at everything I do and I try to say, is this a high value activity or a low value activity? Or, you know, is this the best use of my time? I like to ask that a lot. Is this the best use of my time right now? Or if I'm worth $1,000 an hour, would I be doing this task? And it's amazing how often the answer is no, I wouldn't. So then why am I doing that? Why am I not getting somebody else to do that? A lot of people, you know, you know, have a misconnect when it comes to, you know, building their mindset and, you know, that personal development. Yeah, I mean, I very much fell into that for many years in the beginning where I, I had traded one job for another job. And that was a higher paying job. I was making a lot more money. 
but I was stressed and I was overworking, you know, the money wore off and I wasn't happy. Right. So that's where that, that's where that balance and lifestyle has to come in because what will happen, and this is what I tell people that I coach, if you start working these 80 hour weeks to build the business, because that's what everybody says you have to do. And then you put that work in, in your mind, you say, well, you know, when I arrive, when I get there, then I'll cut back and I'll enjoy enjoy things, right? Because I've arrived. The problem with that mindset is you form habits when you're working those 80 hour weeks and those habits don't die easy. They don't leave easy. So that's why you see people who have a lot of money and they're still working a lot of hours. Why are they working so hard? They have a lot of money. It's because they form habits and they just don't know any other way to do it. Right. And always remember the reason why you did this in the first place. When I first started, it was to provide a better life for my family. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was cutting it for my wife and kids. I felt like they deserved better than what I could give them. And I felt like I was missing out because I had to be at that job and I, I was missing out on my kids' activities. And so that's what propelled me to get into that business and make those hard choices and those sacrifices. So uh, don't lose sight of that at all as you're as you go through this journey, you know, and it's a journey. Everybody's on a journey. Everybody learns at different paces. I get this question all the time. How long does it take to get your first deal? And I hate that question because what you're assuming is you're assuming that you're equal to somebody else. And if it took somebody else longer or shorter, then that must equal how long it takes you to do it. But you're you and your experience, your journey is unique to you. So don't worry about don't worry about how long it took somebody else and just get out there and do what you need to do to get your first deal. Don't worry about other people. Don't kid yourself. Anybody who's getting into this business, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take sacrifice and and it's going to take risk. I mean, you're going to have to get deals under contract and you're going to have to put earnest money in jeopardy sometimes. And I mean, I I've done deals now where I put a lot I put a lot on the line to get a, one of the big deals done and. No, I wish I could say I've won every single time. I haven't. You know, I don't think anybody who's honest in the business that's been in the business a long time will tell you that they've only done winning deals, right? Right, right, right. Learn from those failures. Make those mistakes. One thing that I feel like I've done really well over the years is every time I failed or made a mistake, I didn't let that stop me or set me back. I just got back on the horse and I just tried again and I learned from it. And so I made a lot of mistakes. But I've just kind of failed again and learned and failed again and learned. And and that just allowed me to continue growing because I wasn't afraid of failure. <laughs> yes, I've, I've often heard, you know, mentors of mine saying the uh, revenues and the resilience. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I love that. You know, if, if you're resilient, if you're resilient enough to get your, you know, head bashed in a little bit, you'll mm-hmm. see you'll see the fruits of your labor. And, well, yeah, and- I tell people, I tell people when you first get in this business, plan on making 100 offers to get one deal. Maybe, maybe it doesn't take that many, but if you go in with the mindset of, I got to make a hundred offers before I'm going to get that first deal and you accept that reality and you're willing to get 99 no's, 99 rejections, 99 people telling you who told you this would work and this you're, there's no way anybody would take that price and all those things that are negativity and you're willing to do that to get that one deal that makes 10 grand or whatever, man, you're going to win in this business. You know, could you speak, uh, you know, I, I've had, you know, students in Jalen's group here that, uh, you know, they they ask for suggestions on how to, you know, get started with little or no money. And, and yeah. you know, we tell them, you know, go driving for dollars and yeah. they'll find one property and they'll spend a whole week thinking that this is going to be their their, their deal. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't work that way. No. 
No, this is something that I, if, if anybody follows my YouTube channel and watches any of my videos, I mean, I've got over 400 videos on, on uh, the Flipping Mastery TV channel. And it's something I talk about constantly, which is the amount of time you spend on leads. And you have to have a filter on your leads. You have to, first of all, you have to generate a lot of leads. And then you've got to be able to filter through those leads and not spend too much time per lead. Uh, so like what I do is I do a very quick analysis on the numbers. I get a very ballpark buy number and then I make my offer without any due diligence, sometimes without seeing the property. You know, I just go through and I run the buy formula. You know, I, I make some assumptions on ARV. I make some assumptions on repairs and I have a software that kind of just gives me some ballpark numbers. And then I put the offer in front of the seller because making offers is not about getting deals. It's about identifying motivated sellers. Exactly. You can learn that one thing. If that's like the only thing you take away today, making offers is to identify a motivated seller because your lowball offer, by the way they respond to that offer, you will know if they're motivated or not. Because if they come down drastically from where they're at to where you're offering, then you'll know they're motivated. If they don't, then aren't you glad you didn't spend a lot of time on it? The mistake new people make in this business is they spend hours and hours and hours on one lead. Then they don't get the offer accepted and they so they so they get through like two or three leads in an entire week. Whereas I go through a hundred offers a month and sometimes much more. So that's five a day, that's 25 a week, like clockwork. And then as your ratios improve and you go to 50 to one, 25 to one, now the same hundred offers get you four deals. Right, it's, right. That's just a numbers game, guys. It really is just a numbers game. You you gotta look at leads and say, how fast can I get to an offer to that seller? And your and your quick analysis is probably five ten minutes. Five minutes, <laughs> right? Literally, right. right? Literally five minutes. Well, what if my what if I'm off on my repair number? What if I'm off on my ARV number? Who cares? They're not usually going to just accept your offer. They're going to counter. And when you offer, let me see if I can get this in the screen. When you offer, when they're up here and you offer down here, and then they go like this. Okay, now spend some time on it. Now really look at the numbers, right? Because now they're now you've identified they're motivated. Right. right. So, well, have an inspection clause in there. That's your way out in case it does get accepted and you're off. You know, some due diligence time. I always have due diligence on all my deals. But I make I make sight unseen offers every single day without ever seeing the properties. And I make an offer to the seller. Now, you've got some software that helps you, the proprietary software. Yeah. That that. Yeah, right. yeah. Anybody who's interested, if you go to uh, if you go to get Flipster, it's called Flipster. It's my T-shirt here, Flipster. Uh, get Flipster uh, or getflipster.com. It's um you can check it out. There's a video and it shows you like uh, how it works and stuff. But yeah, it's really nice because you enter in the property. Uh, we build algorithms that will do ARV and repairs based on assumptions of the market where it's at and based on square footage of the home and whether it's a light, average, or heavy rehab. So you you put in a couple of numbers and boom, it gives you numbers. Now they're not they're not accurate because you haven't really looked at the data, right, right. but it gets you pretty dang close enough to make an offer and start the process. And then right. it allows you to adjust. So then when you're ready, you can go in there and, and really adjust your numbers and get your exact formula when you're ready. So, you know, what advice do you have for those guys that are maybe living in, you know, LA and wanting to mm-hmm. hotel in Indianapolis? You know? Yeah, I love virtual wholesaling. I've got a lot of videos on the YouTube channel where I break down kind of how I do that. So that's a really great way to do the business. You have to still learn the market. So there's no way around that. Um, What's great is you can learn your market virtually on sites like Redfin and Zillow, where you identify where you want to farm for leads. And then you get in there and you really focus on learning those neighborhoods. Um, My big thing is 
everything I do is price per square foot. So I always want to learn what's the price per square foot of the market. And then what I like to do is identify the low hanging fruit, which is properties that are listed for sale below the average sold price per square foot in that market. Now you've got some tools. You've got some tools within Flipster that that can actually do that. Take that guesswork. Yeah, yeah we have. There, you know. That's right. We have a tool that does that for you. I actually give away a free version of that. That's just that tool. Uh, it's called um, MyDataCruncher.com, and you can um, you can get a login for that for free. And what that does is it is it basically you put the zip code in, and it grabs the average sold price per square foot of that zip code. And then it gives you a list of every every home for sale on the market right now that's for sale below the average sold price. Another question was more of a lifestyle. How do you build your business around your lifestyle? Now, now you've got a family, uh, nine kids, correct? Nine kids. You know, so <laughs> I don't even know how you have time to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My motto is you can sleep when you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to see our Costco bill. Balancing that lifestyle, I mean, it's 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 never easy. I mean, but one of the things I do is uh, I don't I don't have the self control to do it myself. So I have to I have to put filters in my life that allow me to do it. So for example, I have downtime on my phone that my wife knows the code to that I can't turn off, and so it turns off my phone in the evening where nothing works except phone and text, no email, none of my apps, nothing. Nothing works. And it forces me to put the phone away, forces me to be present. On Sunday, it's shut off for the entire day so that I can really focus on uh, my spirituality and being with my family. And I, I don't have the discipline to not go to my phone and work. I don't know. I don't think, I think most men that are, that are hard workers and have been taught to work hard and are, are motivated and driven, it's extremely difficult to balance relationships and work and spirituality and work and health and fitness and work. Work will tend to kind of just permeate into your life everywhere you go. And so, you know, I have routines that I follow that that where I put work away. So what I have to do is I have to say, you know, I've got a window of time to do my work and I'm not going to go outside of that window because if I do, then it'll jeopardize my lifestyle. So how do I get the things done that I want to get done, make the money I want to make, grow my businesses, make more money within that allotted window of time? Uh, and by putting those parameters, by the, putting those hard walls up, it just forces me to be more productive because I don't have a choice. Like I only have so much time to get everything done I need to get done. So that for me, that's what works. And that's what helps me really keep that lifestyle focus. At what point would you make the transition from the newbie wholesaler that maybe has done you know four or five deals to do, taking on some fix and flips? What what you have to grow is your is your risk muscle because when you this, the minute you do a fix and flip, you take on significantly more risk than wholesaling because if you can't if you can't with wholesaling if you can't find a cash buyer, you back out of the deal. Maybe you piss off the seller or an agent or whatever, but you're nothing happens, right? Maybe you lose your earnest money. That's about it. Right, right. That's about the worst thing that'll happen if you screw up a wholesale. Not a fix and flip. Fix and flip, you borrow money, it doesn't sell. You could lose tens of thousands of dollars if you screw up a fix and flip. So there's significantly more risk. So you have to look at things in terms of where are you at on your risk tolerance scale? And be have some self-awareness. Ask yourself, hey, the thought of losing, if I lose $5,000 on a fix and flip, that would be devastating to me. If I lose ten thousand dollars on a fix and flip, that would be devastating. Like, where is your devastation level? You know, mine now is six figures. Like, I I can I can take a six figure risk and do that with 
confidence because I built my, my risk tolerance muscle that high, right? So think about where you're at. The way that you can transition is to, is to think really small in the beginning, like think a carpet and paint type project. It just needs carpet and paint. You know, you, you can't screw that up too bad. Right, right. Don't go into a full-blown gut, right, where you're going to be rebuilding a house and adding an addition and all of that. Like, don't do that out of the gate. That Build up to that if that's you. Or, or maybe do a wholetail deal where you're just going to uh, buy it, close on it, right, fund it, close on it, and then you're just going to relist it and, and sell it that way without doing anything to it. Like, those are steps in that direction to, to turning into fix and flip and doing bigger deals. Can you tell folks, you know, where they can find you as far as I found you on YouTube? You know, to this day, I, I'm always pulling gems out of your YouTube channel oh, and, you. and, and yeah. love it. What, what, what's yeah. that YouTube channel and, and how it's can they find you? Cooking Mastery TV, if you go to YouTube and you search that channel, definitely do that. Um, if you go to the playlist section, I think we've got like 50 different playlists where we've broken out, you know, all the different topics. Uh, but if you want to give us, you know, one final thought on, you know, uh, We'll just take it from there and wrap this up. It's not about the money. We talk about the money all the time, but it's not about the money. It's about the time and freedom that it gives so that you can have, be, do, and give everything you want in life. And that's really what this is all about. And so just don't ever lose that perspective that it's about time and freedom. It's not about the money itself. It's about what that money provides and what, what it's a means to an end. Is really I love, that. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Well, well, Jerry, you know, again, I appreciate you coming on here. Yes, uh, all the best to you and your family and let's, let's keep in touch. And, and all right. Sounds good. Thanks everybody. Sure. See yep. ya.